So if you ever wanted to start a side hustle to change the world for the better, in today's episode we talk to an impact entrepreneur who did exactly that. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good good for business. Now here's your host, James McGregor. Now, in today's episode of the Good Business Podcast, I'm talking with Paul Hellier, who is the CEO and founder of the Fair Food Forager. Now, Paul founded the Fair Food Forager as a side hustle back in 2015 with just 15 listings on a website. Now, this world-first global ethical food directory and app has grown to include 6,000 featured cafes, restaurants, and providors in 20 countries around the world. Now, many of the guests we've had in the past, as well as many impact entrepreneurs, start out with a side hustle that grows into a viable business but you won't often hear the backstory about what they did to make it happen. So in this episode, we'll hear one of these stories as we talk about Paul's journey from that initial idea to some of the key lessons he learned along the way. So uh, let's kick off and let's get all deep and meaningful and tell us who is Paul Hellier. Well, I guess I am just a, a surfer from down on the south coast of Wollongong. I uh, studied environmental science. I worked in local government for a while in natural area management, so helping volunteers and contractors repair the natural bush areas of Wollongong. And all through that whole time, I've been cleaning up my local beach planting trees in the local area and, and getting involved with this different environmental projects and just wanted to do something with technology. Not that I have a great knowledge of technology, but I just understood that everyone has a mobile phone in their pocket pretty much from any country. And I wanted to reach more people than just the people I was speaking to on a daily basis and that's what got me started on this path of of starting a, a company yeah right and so you went from environmental management to tech so how did that come about well i don't know if it if it worked that smoothly in the beginning and if i had my time over again i might have done some things differently in saying that i've also learned a lot about technology in particular mobile apps and websites and social media that I, I didn't have any prior knowledge of. And so I just, I went out and I outsourced obviously this stuff. I didn't uh, try to make it myself. I've, I've done a lot of the social media things myself and content writing and, and that I just sort of educated myself as I went and I guess improved at it. Mm-hmm. But I have spent a lot of money on making mistakes with the technology. And, and as I said, if I did it again, I probably would have thought harder. I'm not very good at making a long plan. Once I have the idea, I just do it. So yeah, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> so tell us, so what were you just where was your superpower? What was my superpower? Yeah, what is your superpower? What would you say it is? I, I think, I don't know, I'd like to say tenacity. I can't say any of this stuff has been easy and even doing environmental projects like getting trees planted in a park that was bare of trees 
you would think would be quite an easy thing to achieve, but it takes a lot of conversations with councils and trying to get people on board and educating parts of the community that don't like the same things that you like and educating them on why this is a benefit to them as well. And I, I think I just haven't given up on any of those things. And, you know, you, you can quite easily spend a year or two or three getting nowhere. But then I think it's always worth it when you look back, you know, in 10 years time, when you look back, you're like, I'm glad I stuck with that. Because if I had have given up at the first site, none of these things would have happened. Yeah, I often describe people who work in the sustainability space as like the rock wheelers out there. So they're always nipping at people's heels and you constantly got to be going at people to, to get them going in the right direction and herd them where they need to go. Yeah, even the way you, you talk to people changes, I think. At first, some of the people that aren't on your side, sort of, they're, they're an annoyance. And then over time, you start to look at that as well. Like, yeah. how do I get through to people? Because you can't just tell someone to like something because you do. You have to change your story and mould the story around getting them on board and see, seeing things your way and, and doing those, getting that response in different clever manners of getting your point across. Yeah, I think that's... Um, so So I'm an engineer originally, and so if people were machines, it'd be, my life would be so much easier when it came to sustainability. But as I've got older and greyer and wiser, you suddenly realise that actually you know, winning hearts and minds is probably more important than the tech and the widgets and the, the bits and pieces that sit behind that. Because if you don't do that, you know, it's just, just like chasing a parked car, right? The harder you run, the more it's going to hurt. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about Fair Food Forager. Tell, tell us what it is for the audience who may not know what it is. So Fair Food Forager, the original idea and, and still a big part of it is that it's a, a sustainable food directory. So I don't know about you, but when I've been travelling, whether it's in Australia or overseas, sometimes you're, you're just super keen for a meal. You've got to stop, you're in the car, you need something to eat. And quite often when you're not familiar with somewhere where you are, you end up just settling for whatever you can find. And quite often, as soon as you finish your meal and you drive another hundred meters down the road, you find something that you should have went to. So Fair Food Foragers has these sustainability icons. There's 16 of those and they all represent a different level of food sustainability. So it could be reducing plastic, reducing food waste, serving plant-based options, sustainable seafood, local produce, homemade, all those sort of things. And you can filter your search using one, using your location, but then also using these icons. So if you're passionate about reducing plastic going into the environment, you can filter with the reduced plastic icon, or we also have a ocean friendly icon where we work with the Surfrider Foundation to help the business remove all of the single-use plastic. And then so you can just go straight to one of those options. So somewhere like King Street Newtown in Sydney, you know, there might be, I don't know how many restaurants, 300 restaurants. Our app might only have 25 and you can just narrow your search just like that. Mm. The app and the website also is acts like its own social media so it's kind of like its own version of instagram 
but people are just purely posting their appreciation of the environment, food that they've grown, food that they've cooked, some cool restaurant that they've discovered. And it's just all about kind of sharing ideas and solutions and, you know, lifting each other up with hope that we can all do something. So it has, the, the app itself has two different tiers and it's all aimed at, one, encouraging people to do something through sharing what is happening already and encouraging people, but, and two, just to make life easier. So I think there's a lot of people that do care about this stuff, but they're not, you know, as inverted commas, greenies. So using the technology in a, like in a fun way is just, I, my thinking was it's, an, it's a way to get people who are just sitting on the fence to come over and get involved and just support a business that deserves their money. Yeah. And so tell me about the, what's the business model that sits behind. So I understand the app and being able to search and find sort of the products that are on issues that are important to me. How do you keep the lights on? Because, you know, the, all these, you know, having a great idea to make the world a better place is one thing. Being able to sustain yeah. it and have the financial resources to keep on doing the mission is another. So, so what's the business model that sits behind it? Well, at this, at this point, because the, like the reincarnation of the app has probably only been going for a, a bit over six months now. The, the original app was quite just utilitarian and just had the, the nuts and bolts kind of a bit boring search option. And now I, we've added uh, little small ads for ethical brands that mm-hmm. they can put in, they can uh, contact us and we put those into the app. So they come through randomly as people are scrolling either posts or venues. And then we have a, an online store with reducing plastic uh, type, you know, reusable coffee cups and drink bottles and things like that. I've also made a film uh, called The Peloton Against Plastic which we were just starting to get some traction on and and make it's been shown in in uh, cinemas around the world just as a on demand type setup and yep. we were just about to set up screenings with councils and then covid hit <laughs> yeah so yeah. there's not a, a hell of a lot of money coming in at the moment but it i do run the company quite lean at the moment and i do a lot of the work myself unless i just don't know how to do it yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Moment, it's not an emergency, but yeah, we've definitely got to bring in some more revenue. Yeah. So the it's a bit like TripAdvisor. Would that be the best way for ethical food choices? Is that would that be a good analogy? So the if I'm a cafe, for example, that has like so, so I have a zero waste cafe, for example, and I like go on the app, yeah. I can create a profile and start bringing in customers. Do I pay anything for that, or is it it's like a free service, and then you then monetize that with advertising they're like TripAdvisor would yes so the businesses most of the businesses are listed by consumers okay a business itself can suggest themselves to us so on the website there's a suggest a venue page and on the app you can actually check in at a venue and if we don't have that place i will get a notification with the business's address and and things like that And we'll do some research on it to make sure that it's not completely dodgy Mm -hmm. and then load it onto the app. And the business can be loaded on there for free. And then it's up to the 
the actual business if they want to further promote themselves. They can put a, a small ad on the app. Mm-hmm. We're looking at things like Facebook does where they could, if they had a promotion going over the weekend, they could promote that post to go for 24 hours or something for a small fee. Yeah, right. So, um, and the app's in, you know, over 20 countries. So the idea is that I want it to be affordable for a business that's operating in Cambodia. Yep. But at the same time, you know, not a big drama for a business to post something if they're in Sydney. So we've kind of going on the idea of having a lot of businesses, suitable businesses on there and Mm -hmm. then wanting to pay small amounts of money. Okay. So, so take us back in time a little. I'm interested in where the genesis of the idea from Fair Food Forager came from. And what did you see or what was the problem that you were setting out to solve when you started to rack your brain about how am I going to solve this problem and Fair Food Forager was born? Well, I think there's lots of different things that all accumulated into, into this happening. One was my, at the time, frustration with politicians and not really getting the point. Uh, two would be... How's that going at the moment? <laughs> really still the that's same not really, that really hasn't improved. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, I think that comes down to just saying to yourself, like, I, I can't just wait for them to do something. I'm going to have to do something myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can do a lot locally, but what can I do on a bigger scale? And, and that's kind of one of the things that started this thinking. Another thing is that our, our food system, you know, where we were, as we discussed prior to this podcast, everything being wrapped in plastic, a lot of the times pointlessly, uh, a lot of food waste, a lot of, you know, people, well, big organisations putting small businesses out of business by just, you know, beating them on price. Mm. And I, I guess a big motivator is definitely plastic. So I've been cleaning my local beach here for nearly 20 years and just noticing that probably 70 to 80% of the plastic that I was picking up off the beach was food related. Yeah. And so I just wanted to find a mechanism where I can either encourage businesses to reduce the amount of plastic they use or show people where to support the ones that are already doing it. And so there's, there's all these different tears coming in to why the way we shop and the businesses we support food-wise can have a huge impact on the planet. And that includes, you know, the way animals are treated, the amount of food waste just being tossed into the bin uh, and, and just looking at any way really that I can help assist people in make a better decision. So how did you go then? So you've seen, yeah, just take the plastic waste issue. You've seen your own eyes. You've been picking up for years. How did you go from plastic waste and getting frustrated and angry at that problem to trying to fix it? And how did Fair Food Forager come into that story? I was actually, like I said, cleaning up the beach at the time, you know, 10 or 12 years thinking that technology had to be involved somehow. And I bounced lots of different ideas in my own head, like, you know, developing games to educate kids and all this sort of stuff. And then I was actually traveling on the outskirts of Brisbane for a few days and I wanted to grab a coffee and do some work. 
And I went to two or three cafes, and, and bear in mind, this is about five years ago, so hopefully things have changed. But none of the cafes would give me a coffee in a ceramic cup. And I just found that really weird. But I also thought, how good would this be if I didn't have to waste my time going to three or four different businesses to try and get a sit-down coffee? And I just knew because it was on an app. And that was the kind of light bulb moment where I decided that that's how it had to come about. Right. So, so you've had this aha moment where, you know, you've realized pretty much everyone's walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket that can help them filter those preferences. What did you do next? Like, where did you go with that idea? I started just kind of jotting down some thoughts and how I thought that might look. And then I talked to some different web developers to find out, you know, what was possible and, and how much that would cost. And, and pretty much anything is possible if you've got lots of money. Yes. Uh, and I didn't have lots of money. So we started with, I just used about $5,000 of my own money and we just built a web-based app that could be used utilizing suburbs and things. So you would type in a suburb and it would give you your options. So it was kind of clanky, but it was a good way to launch the company and see what interest there was. And there was, there was quite a lot of interest. We had a little launch. We screened another film at a local cinema and with a little trailer of this app. And we had a couple of hundred people turn up and I realized that there was a lot of interest in this area. And then from there, I think I borrowed some money and I ended up getting the apps made and it's just kind of, you know, moved on from that since then. Yeah. I think that's a really important lesson around making sure you test your idea before if you go down the technology path and you can plow pretty much as much money as you want in the technology, but you need to validate that it's a good idea in the first place because not, not all, all ideas were born equal. So yeah, going for that, you know, whilst it might be clunky, it's still a really important risk management step to test your idea in the quickest and cheapest possible way to make sure it's good before you go too much further. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a good move. In hindsight, I don't know that I planned it that well in, <laughs> in doing it for that reason, but that's the way it happened. And it was yeah. just because of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we do a lot of projects around developing new ideas around sustainability and, and you know, addressing environmental social causes. And that's always the advice we give is, you know, because a lot of people go, well, I don't want to tell people my idea because, you know, I'm in stealth mode and they might steal it. And yeah. we're like, yeah. no, 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 you get your idea out there as fast and as quick as you can, even if it's just like a brochure, like a, a a mock-up brochure of what your thing looks like and go around and talk to people about it uh, and start getting that customer and user feedback as fast and as cheaply as possible as soon as you can. It's really, really important. Yeah. And I, you know, funny thing is I got a lot of feedback and it was pretty much all positive. And I was wondering if I was doing this funny thing. I was wondering if I was doing something wrong because <laughs> everyone was telling me it was so good. Yeah. And, and I was waiting for someone to, poo-poo it and I wasn't getting any poo-poos. It was just like, oh, that's great. We, we so need that. Yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking, am I just talking to the same people again that agree with me? Yeah. So, but in hindsight as well, maybe it would have been good if some people told me some things they didn't like because then I could have adjusted faster. Yeah. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah, but that's the nature of like starting with a new idea, right? So I think you need to go into this with a, a learning mindset that everything you know today is an assumption until you prove otherwise. So do I really need this feature on my app? Well, that's an assumption. Go and test it mm. and get turn that assumption into a fact. And it'll be positive or negative, right? But that's yep. if you take it on board as this is a learning activity or a learning task that I'm doing right now, if it comes back as a negative feedback, that's still good because if you didn't get that feedback and you plowed 10 grand into developing that feature, you know, that was a waste of money. You now got 10 grand, you can do something with that's really useful. So I think it's really important that people have that sort of iterate mindset. You know, start with basic minimum viable product, it might be a bit clunky, might not be as sexy as you like it, but just get it out there in the world and start getting some uh, real feedback. So, so what do you think was the, the hardest part for you in going from that initial I, you know, seeing the problem, coming up with an idea, you know, you've launched this, you know, simple version of an app. What, what was the hardest part of the next step? I think probably the hardest thing was because at the time I was working in a full-time job and, and then it started to build quite quickly. And so I was doing all the work plus working a full-time job and trying to manage that, but then not let it kind of, you know, take over your whole life because I couldn't quit at that time. So I think workload was probably the hardest thing to manage. And then, you know, we, in that time for the next year or two, there were a few technology type things that held us up. And I always think about someone like Facebook or Instagram who have you know, billions of dollars to pile at developers and just be testing and improving nonstop all the time. Whereas if you're someone that's bootstrapping a business like this, your improvements quite often happen slowly and people are telling you they wanted this new feature or whatever. And by the time you get it out and test it, sometimes you feel like that momentum has been lost a little bit. And I'm trying to manage everything else as well while I was doing that. So it was definitely, you know, time and wanting to just go for broke, but then having to keep an eye on, you know, that you're not, you can't just spend all your cash and you still got to work a day job and, and all that. So yeah, it was, and you know, I, it was, I wouldn't say any of it was that stressful, but that's happened quite a few times. You, You kind of, you fly up to this next level and then plateau for ages while you're trying to get something else finished. Yeah. And that's yeah. just happened over and over and over again. If yeah. I had heaps of money, it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but then also you might've focused on it. You want to spend the money. You know, I think this scarcity mindset is an efficient way to spend money on developing yeah. the right things. Like if you're, and you've got limited capital, um, you're you know, really laser focused on what's the best bang for buck, uh, which ultimately builds a better product, I think. So when you hit these yes. plateaus, were you, were you feeling like you were failing to some extent that it was, you were doing something wrong or, was, or did you know it was simply just a bandwidth issue? Yeah, look, I think you always put a little bit of uh, pressure on yourself. And because <laughs> I've done this so many times where people are like so excited for this new feature and you tell them it's coming, and then there's just hold up after hold up. Like, for example, we had a, a partnership come along where we, we had a tech partner for about six months. And, you know, we rebranded and they, they come up with this beautiful new design. 
and and they made the app look really great but they they were very skilled on ios design mm-hmm. and so the, our android app was much further behind in what it was offering mm. and then people were just waiting for it and then the partnership collapsed because the other company lost a lot of their staff through some acquisition of a local uh, government or something like that. And so I was just promising stuff and people were just waiting and I was promising and they were waiting. (laughs) So you put all that pressure on yourself that if I just shut my mouth and kept my excitement to myself, maybe I could have, you know, brought everyone along with me when I knew it was going to be ready. So that's happened a few times. I think I've learned from that. And I just keep it a little bit quieter until you know it's coming. Maybe you can mention it, but don't build everyone up like it's here next week because quite often it's it's going to be another month on top of that. Yeah. Now, earlier when we were talking, you mentioned, say, yeah, we've got this Fair Food Forager and it's up and running, and then you started talking about your zero-waste supermarket. Tell us a bit about, connect those dots for me. Yes. So, well, again, I think we're at a time now where people want to shop locally they want ways to reduce plastic waste contribute to community and the town where i live in port kembla is quite unique where it has an old high street that still looks like the old high street but it's been kind of half dead for for 20 plus years because of a a big supermarket that opened about a kilometer away and this high street used to have four banks and a big supermarket and three pubs. And, you know, it was the, the place to be back in the sixties and seventies. And I've for quite a while thought that it needed a supermarket to give people a reason to be there apart from a few cafes that are doing quite well. There was, and I've always wanted to do something myself so that locally I can go and buy nuts and rice and couscous or whatever in my own container and control the amount of these products that I want to buy instead of having to buy 500 grams or a kilo or whatever Hmm. and supporting a a big multinational corporation that owns, you know, 90% of supermarkets in Australia. So just so happened that I mentioned this to the local community center who are quite active and very, thinking outside the box themselves and make a lot of projects happen locally. And a grant came up through the New South Wales government to develop community in different ways. It was, I think it was called our community grant, something like that. We applied for it. It goes to the local government area that you're in and people vote for the projects that they want to see get up. This one got up by probably got, 80% of the votes. So it's pretty obvious that the community wanted it. And since then, it's been open about two weeks. The basic premise is that we are trying to make like a bulk food community-owned supermarket that is, one, affordable, which a lot of places that are like this are often quite expensive. And some things just aren't cheap, and that's the reflection of what food should cost. But other things, you know, we want to bring in parts of the community to this supermarket that might not normally care about zero waste and and so introduce them to this type of shopping. And we're trying to source locally. We're trying to talk to suppliers and say, you know, for instance, with bread, 
we've got, you know, a, a nice premium sourdough from a reasonably local uh, sourdough maker. But then we're also just sourcing some loaves of bread and bread rolls and things from a Vietnamese bakery down the road. And then they were supposed to deliver it today without plastic. It came with plastic. So we had the conversation, we don't want this bread with plastic. So hopefully tomorrow we'll get the bread without plastic. So it's a work in progress, but the idea is that we want to cut out all the unnecessary plastic that we can. And then once we get to the harder things, things like milk and stuff like that, then we're going to have to be a bit more innovative and probably working closer with the the companies and the the distributors to try and cut out some plastic. And what did you call the supermarket? It's called Port Grocer. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, what we did with that as well, um, see, when we applied for the grant, we called it the Fair Food Supermarket. And Mm -hmm. because I guess it was... My brainchild, I was thinking, oh, how good would it be if Fair Food Forager had its own supermarket? And because I'm a company and not a charity, we decided that we should put the naming to the community and the community uh, put some names out there and then we allowed people to vote on the name and Pork Grocer was the name that won. So pretty much everything about this uh, supermarket is a community-based model. Okay, and it's community-owned as well, the supermarket? What's the business model yeah. behind the supermarket? Okay, right. Yeah, so the community centre is has DGR status and is a registered charity, so they're holding the funds mm-hmm. and, you know, they're the, the body that employs the manager and the floor staff. Yep. And then on top of that, we have volunteers, so people can volunteer four hours a week yep. and then they get... I think it's a 10% discount or a 20% discount on their groceries. So it's the volunteers are subsidizing the need in the early days to, so we don't have to use all that money on wages. And then the idea is that as it becomes more profitable, that will keep employing more staff. And then once we get to a point where it's supporting itself, then we can use excess funds to go into a, like a fund where we can fund uh, local environmental projects. Yeah, awesome. If people want to plant trees or something like that, we can, instead of you know having to go for another grant or something, we can pass that money on and, and make it happen so that we can improve the local environment as well. Yeah, awesome. And so what's the future of, of Fair Food Forager? What does the future look like? If you could crystal ball five years down the track, what do you think you'll be doing? Well, I hope that I can really encourage businesses to to take on this model where they include sustainability as part of their daily operations and, and show them that they can be... Because my idea is that if you've got two businesses that are very similar in the same street, one of them is on Fair Food Forager because they've reduced their plastic, their food waste, they've got plant-based options, they're using... Um, local suppliers and they're getting customers then the guy down the road will look at them and say why are they doing so well because of this app okay i can ditch plastic very easily i can support locals i can uh, get send my food scraps to the community garden you know all these type of things and then help businesses get another level of promotion based on their ethics Mm -hmm. rather than you know just business as usual as we we have been and i think at the moment there 
there is definitely the world around people want to support businesses that are doing the right thing and they don't want to see plastic in the ocean. They don't want to see food wasted. So I see uh, fair food forager, you know, it's as far as I know, it's really the only model like this around the world. It's in about 25 countries now. Obviously Australia is um, where most of the venues are. There's quite a few in the UK, the U S Bali, New Zealand, but I just want to see that expanding and I'd love to have a point where I can get some more helpers on board so I don't have to do everything myself and yeah, yeah just see, see us, you know, come to an, the end of, of pointless plastic going into our environment and all those other crazy things that we do with food. Yeah. Awesome. And I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, in the, the current environment, I think consumers hungry for, connecting with brands who mean more than just the product, right? They stand for something more than just their products and services. And I think particularly in the current times, that's like a massive opportunity for you know, ethical based businesses to grab some market share. So it becomes the new normal going forward. So that those that, that don't get on board, as you say, you know, they see someone down the road doing really, really well because they've done that. And then you get this copycat behavior start happening. So I think there's a really good opportunity for that. As we speak in the current world and the, the strange world we find ourselves in at the moment, yeah. And you know what, by default, I think quite often if a business is putting in that extra effort to reduce their waste by some sort of strange coincidence, their food is often quite awesome as well. So I think, you know, if they're putting in that effort for the planet, they're also likely to be putting in that effort for your taste buds. Yeah. In all aspects of business. Yeah. I mean, even in when we deal with like big companies, those that have a really strong sustainability agenda generally have really good governance and management practices and all sorts of things. Cause it's just, if you're great at sustainability, then you're just naturally good at everything else because it requires that sort of level of commitment. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So there was someone out there right now who was you know, strolling down the beach and getting frustrated, picking up plastic off the sand. And they had this, this um, idea popped in their head about making the world a, bit, world a better place. What's the one piece of advice you give someone like that? Yeah, I, I think I would just go, if you've got an idea, just give it a crack. Um, you could look at what other people are doing. And I, I think quite often, you know, there might be something that's being done somewhere that you could replicate or join their organisation and build it out where you are as well. So you might not necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. It, it could have already been done. But I would definitely just do it. Yeah, fair enough. The last guest I spoke to a couple of days ago, a guy in the UK who started an e-commerce store to address um, homelessness in, in London. And he basically had the exact same advice. And pretty much every guest is, I've got to change that question because pretty much everyone gives us exactly the same answer, which is interesting in and of itself. Uh, but everyone just goes, well, yeah, just do it. Have do. a crack. What do you got to lose? What, what you could do, I think, is to expand on that question is actually just start talking to people as if it's already real and yep. see what their response is. Yeah, Because I idea. think if you get that enthusiasm of people, then there's a good idea. And also too, would you use it? That advice. And if you would use it, then mm-hmm. someone else would. Yeah, that was good advice there. Yeah, we'll put that in as the advice. Now, if, uh, if people wanted <laughs> to uh, learn more and get in touch or get their hands on the Fair Food Forager app, um, what's the best way for them to connect with what you're doing? 
So they can download the Fair Food Forager app on the Google Play Store and the App Store. You can set up a profile on there and you can post just like you post on Instagram. And you can, there's a, a tab on the app called Explore, uh, sorry, Public. If you go on the Public tab, you can find and follow different users. And I'm on there as Paul Hillier, Fair Food Forager is on there. Our film, The Peloton Against Plastic is on there. So you can follow different people and, and keep up to date with them. Of course, we've got a website, fairfoodforager.com. You can contact me through there. We're on Facebook or on Instagram. So yeah, feel free to reach out. I'd love feedback or we're always looking for ambassadors mm -hmm. as well. If people love food and love eating in sustainable places, we're always on the lookout for people to suggest us new venues. Awesome. Great. All right. So go down and download it. I downloaded it earlier from the, uh, the app store. So go and uh, check it out. So now we're up to the, uh, the challenging part, which is our, what we call the mad minute, which is five quick questions in 60 seconds. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Get someone else to do the things that you can't. Very good advice. Yes. Particularly when you're, uh, you try to do it all yourself, you'll end up in that dilemma that you found yourself in the early days of just not having enough bandwidth. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Probably Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. Yeah, a popular one. Uh, when you were a yeah. kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a park ranger. Mm, you came close with the environmental stuff. And where did that uh, dream come from, do you think, when you were a kid? What did you like about becoming a park ranger? Uh, I think I just wanted to be in the environment. I did some volunteering when I was at school with national parks. And I think at the time I was just too lazy. So actually, uh, you know, stayed at school. I ended up working as a lifeguard for a while. So I, I still got to be outdoors. And then I, I went and did my environmental science degree later on. So I, I probably would have goofed off too much if I did it when I was 18, but I ended up doing it about 10 years later. <laughs> Fair enough. What's your favourite quote? Oh, gee. Be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah, that's a cracker. That one, one of my favorites as well. And if you go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Well, don't get so attached to the outcome. I think I would, I would probably just do things without, because I think when we're attached to the outcome, we put so much pressure on ourselves, whereas you can just sort of enjoy the ride. It's a little bit like living in the now, I suppose. We kind of quite often miss the fun of what we're doing because we're looking at something that's a year or two or three into the future. And if we don't get that vision, then it's all going to fall apart. But quite often it all just works out anyway and you just keep adjusting as you go. So yeah. I think I would definitely just kind of relax a little bit more. And that goes with everything, you know, with girlfriends, with business, with career, with studying, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And I don't think we have to because it's all going to be okay. Yeah, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah, that's right. Look, I also understand you've got a podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's called the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show. So it's basically I just interview people that I know. Uh, I, I kind of realized I've got some pretty interesting friends and it would be good to hear about their links to the environment it's mostly environmental but we go off topic quite a bit it's not not so much about business it's just could be anything really a lot of those people are 
volunteers, some are politicians, some are musicians. So, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I do it for me more than anyone, really. Yeah, I, I'm the same as well. Yeah, that's all. That's basically this is like almost free consulting for me. I get to hear all these lessons, hard <laughs> lessons that people have learnt, so I don't have to make those same mistakes as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good move. Well, thanks for uh, sharing your story. Uh, make sure everyone out there listening, go uh, download the Fair Food Forager app. Uh, if you're in Port Kembla, make sure you duck down to the Port Grocer and uh, we appreciate your time. I think it's a really good story and also we wish you every success and we'll maybe check in at some point in the future to see if the uh, Fair Food Forager grocery store does get up and going at some point. But thanks for joining us <laughs> on the Good Business Podcast. Thank you. Now, if you haven't checked out the great resources available on our website, which include free downloadable worksheets and guides to help you build your own impact business, then head on over to www.thebluetribe.co forward slash podcast. If you like today's episode, make sure you click that like and subscribe button and also tell a friend about the podcast so they can get some inspiration from great businesses doing great things. Coming up in the next episode. So this idea came about when the founders and I were in Svalbard, Norway, in the Arctic Circle cross-country skiing. And I happened to be reading Paul Hawkins' book, Drawdown. And in that book, number three was food waste in regards to combating climate change. Now, if you're wondering what type of business someone would think up in the middle of the Arctic Circle to address the food waste challenge, then you need to listen to the next episode where I speak with a seven-time Ironman and ultramarathoner whose first word that she ever spoke was dum-dum, as in the lollipop. And there's a bit of a story behind that, but you'll need to listen to find out. Well, that's it for another episode of the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.